Hello and welcome to the Speaking Out podcast from the New Mexico Coalition Against Domestic Violence. Our goal is to highlight our programs and the amazing work that they're doing around the state, provide discussion around the topics of domestic violence, and create an environment of education and empowerment for anyone that may be experiencing domestic violence. This week, we are highlighting our Children's Capacity Building Project in honor of Making a Difference for Children Month. Shana Aldal, our program support specialist who helped create this project, is on to talk us through what the CCBP program is, what its goals are, and how you can become involved. Well, thank you so much, Shauna, for joining me today. Do you think you could introduce yourself, tell us a little bit about your role and maybe your history with NMCIDV? Sure. I'm Shauna Aldal, and I'm actually here at the coalition for my second time around. I was previously employed here back in 2015. And now I'm back. I've been here since June and I'm super excited to be back. And I was hired into the role of program support specialist. And my primary role in this position will be overseeing the Children's Capacity Building Project. What is CCBP or the Children's Capacity Building Project? So, yeah, I think it's important to give just a little bit of background history uh, to kind of understand the overall kind of um, idea behind the project. Back before 2014, around 2014, the coalition, it was actually our director, Pam Wiseman, kind of had this vision to really increase the capacity for our programs to be able to provide services for children. So prior to this project, only approximately like nine programs in the entire state of domestic violence programs had an actual designated children's program in their agency. And so kind of through this vision, through Pam's vision, the coalition developed the Children's Capacity Building Project. And what the kind of goal behind that project was to not only provide, you know, a little bit of funding and resources to help these programs build up their children's programming, but also provide a way to have that programming be really quality programming, not just kind of a designated staff in there providing quote unquote childcare but really just a designated staff person in there who was trained and able to really support children in a thoughtful manner, in an innovative way, and really help to build services in our programs. What is NMCADV's role in the Children Capacity Building Project? Like, how do we take part in this project? You know, how the coalition takes part in this project is that we do a lot of the systems kind of macro level work. And so we've got our counselors and our advocates, they're on the ground, they're doing all the the really hard work, working, doing the direct services, doing the counseling and the advocacy. And we as the coalition are here kind of on a macro systems level, being able to A, provide support and technical assistance and training to our children's capacity building project sites. We also are, you know, able to provide that kind of peer network. And these are things that I don't think would necessarily be able to happen just because of the tremendous workload of many of our counselors and advocates and all the things that they're having to deal with where there is a support, we're there to keep them connected to the trainings. And we're also there to be kind of a sounding board to our funders, making sure that that capacity building efforts continue 
And so that we're doing these kind of bigger system level type work so that our programs don't have to do it because they're doing the groundwork. So if you were to explain to somebody who knows nothing about this work, what would you say is the role of somebody at a program that works specifically on this project? So in our programs, the staff that are part of the Children's Capacity Building Project, they're not just, you know, therapists and counselors. A lot of them are just our children's advocates. So they're advocates who are primarily working with children and, and families. Kind of what makes this different is that we're helping support them and train them in really understanding trauma-informed care and having kind of the knowledge and the toolkit and the skills to implement trauma-informed services. And so our domestic violence advocates and our counselors are really working with survivor parents and understanding how domestic violence may have impacted their children. And really, you know, importantly is helping them understand how domestic has has, um, impacted that relationship between the parent and the child. And so really kind of teaching the advocate and the counselor how to teach that parent how to respond to their children's trauma-related behaviors, how to comfort and engage your children, um, and really trying to strengthen and repair a relationship that may have been hurt because of the domestic violence. And so those relationships are so important and so critical, the parent-child relationship in, you know, combating those traumatic effects that are a result of domestic violence. We really want to train our advocates through the Children's Capacity Building Project. We want to train our advocates, train the counselors, those, those individuals who are specifically working with families to really understand how critical that relationship is, how important that attachment is between the caregiver and the child, because that is probably one of the biggest resiliency factors for children. So children who, are, who witness domestic violence or in homes with domestic violence can have long-term you know, negative consequences and outcomes. But the good news is that children are super resilient And just a simple intervention, like being connected to an advocate who is doing this type of work can really make a difference in their lives. What do you think has been one of the biggest challenges in getting this project off the ground in New Mexico? Something that I would say is a big challenge is the staffing issues. And so really part of the premise, one of the overall kind of goals and foundations of this project is to have a dedicated person who is in that position or people, you know, um, who is in that position who, who can really just concentrate their efforts on serving that family. And like I said earlier, not just in kind of a, a way where they're just kind of watching the kid or, you know, doing some kind of childcare, you know, we really want them to have those tools to be able to provide really purposeful, quality, trauma-informed work. And so, A, with the staffing issues, staffing issues are something happening nationally, but it's you know super critical in domestic violence programs because it is life-saving work. And so when you can't fill that position, the children and the families are not receiving that those critical services. And then also just the turnover, you know, when you have turnover, we provide on-site technical assistance and training. But once we've kind of trained that person and they're in there and let's say they leave, they have a gap in staff, then we have to, you know, those models and those practices that they've been putting in place in that agency, 
sometimes when there's gaps in employment, those models and practices might stop or you know halt or pause for a little while. And so it can take some time to rebuild that. And so I know that a lot of programs in our state are really struggling right now with filling positions and, and retaining staff. And so that is probably one of the biggest challenges that I've seen. So what do you feel has been one of the biggest successes of the project so far? How have you seen this project succeed? Well, I would say one of the biggest successes of this project is, like I said, this vision that started this whole project, you know, back when it was started back in 2014, you know, the overall vision was to expand services throughout our entire state. You know, it started out really small. The children's project started out with, I think, between eight and nine programs. And through those programs, those programs were all super successful in building children's programming so much so, you know, we had actually used an evidence-based outcome tool and we were able to show our funders that, hey, this project is really working and it's really successful. And so since then, we've been really fortunate in that our funder is CYFD. CYFD has been completely on board, very supportive of this project and has been able to expand it to other programs. So that was the ultimate goal. Like we want all domestic violence programs in the state to have a dedicated children's program, quality programming, innovative programming, so that we can better serve our children and families who've been impacted by domestic violence. So we've nearly um, doubled the amount of programs in the state. And I think we're up to, yeah, we're up to about 18 programs now. That's still only approximately maybe half of the contracted CYFD domestic violence programs in the state. So we still have work to do. But I think that's a huge accomplishment that we have, you know, our supporters, our funders, and, you know, people in the public, like everyone seems to be very on board with this project. And we want to see it continue to grow. So how do you see the program growing over time? What are your goals in your new position? I mean, right now, you know, I think part of the other piece that I didn't mention about one of the big important components of this children's capacity building project is the peer support. And so we really try and build up our peer support network. And so we we want, as our project continues to grow, we want to really strengthen that peer support that we have between agencies. So, you know, we have our kind of original cohort of programs that started, you know, several years back. Unbelievably, we still have staff in some of these programs that are still working there, still doing the children's programming, which is amazing. But I think we want to kind of utilize their expertise and their the historical knowledge that they have to be able to support new programs that are coming in. The unique part about this project is one of the biggest successes that I've seen is that these programs are able to really have kind of the flexibility to build their programming based on what their community needs. So all communities have different needs. All communities have different resources. So if you've got agencies kind of in rural areas or agencies that maybe their primary population, maybe their primary population is the, is the Native American population, you know, they can build their programming in an innovative way that suits the needs of their community, but they can also provide peer support to other programs that may be in a similar region, maybe serving a similar population, and they can really support each other. And so we are working on doing some train the trainers, having our first cohort, those have been in the program for a long time, to help do some do some on-site trainings and be a peer, peer support uh, mentor to them. 
And then really just this year, because we have so many new programs and we now we haven't had a designated person in this position in a couple of years, our focus this year is going to be really working intensively with the new programs. So the new programs that have come on board, you know, we will be kind of going and doing on-site visits and really bringing them into this peer support network. So if any of our programs are interested in participating, how would they be able to get this project going inside their program? So that's a great question. I would say that, you know, any program that wants to kind of get started in the children's capacity building project, you know, maybe they're starting from scratch, but they're not receiving CYFD children's capacity building funding, you know, they can always reach out to me. You know, I'm happy to kind of talk through, you know, what some of our other programs are doing and kind of recommend some best practice trainings and models and practices that a lot of our domestic violence programs are using in their children's program. If they're a CYFD contractor, they should definitely reach out to their contact through CYFD, the Domestic Violence Unit, and find out how they can apply for the Children's Capacity Building funding money, because that money is what actually pays for the having that designated staff in there. So it helps pay for salaries and trainings. So that's kind of where I would start, but people can always, obviously, any of our programs can reach out to me and I'm happy to walk them through, give them some information that I have. I will make sure to include Shauna's email in the show notes so that all you have to do is just click through and get a hold of her. So my next question is, if somebody wants to, like somebody that's not a program, they're interested in helping make this project happen, how could they help? I would say that they can reach out to their local domestic violence program. And so, like I said, I think we've got about 18 programs in the state that have the Children's Capacity Building Project. So, you know, most likely, not not always, but in most cases, you are going to have one of the programs is going to be somewhat close to an area that you're living in or the people that support this project are living in and reaching out to that domestic violence program and seeing, you know, how they can help, whether they want to volunteer, or whether they want to provide any type of financial donation. I would start there first, is finding their local domestic violence provider. And Rochelle, I'm happy to provide the names of the agencies that are currently participating in the Children's Capacity Building Project. Maybe you can add that also to the notes and so that people are aware of which projects are participating. Absolutely. So I can put in the show notes the list of programs that we have across the state that have this project, and then also that they'll be clickable so that you can get to their website and get a hold of them. So now we'll just talk a little bit about you so that people can get to know you as a new staff member. So I would love to know what you think is one of the most important aspects of your job currently. Probably one of the most important aspects of my job is that I get to play a part in building and strengthening services for children and families who've been impacted by domestic violence. I'm not doing the groundwork per se, but I still get to kind of play a part in that. And just being a supportive person to the people who are doing the groundwork. I think a lot of times, especially in children's programming, you may have an agency may only have one person that's doing the work. And so sometimes they can often feel like they're kind of working in a silo. And it's really, really emotionally draining, really hard work because our advocates and counselors, they're just hearing a lot of stories. They're, They're observing a lot of things, seeing these trauma kind of responses in children. 
And so I think it's really important to have someone there that kind of is there first as a sounding board, but also being able to have other peers in their network to be able to kind of know what they're going through and to, to help support them. So what made you get into this line of work? Yeah. So, you know, working in domestic violence, it wasn't something that I was kind of seeking out. I actually started my kind of work in social services back where I used to live. I used to live in Texas and I worked for an agency called the Women's Center. And I worked with women, uh, moms who were receiving uh, TAMF and just trying to help them overcome the multitude of barriers that they were experiencing and really trying to move them into independence. And so that was a population that was, you know, was really passionate and drawn to working with. When I moved here to Santa Fe, I applied for a position at Esperanza Shelter, which is a domestic violence program here in Santa Fe. And I worked there for almost eight years in different capacities. I worked primarily in the shelter And I started out as an advocate and kind of moved my way up into um, sort of a shelter manager role. I left Esperanza for a little while, got my master's degree in social work. And then I actually came to the coalition and then left the coalition for a little bit and went back to Esperanza in a different role. And so I really missed kind of that direct service hands-on work. And so I wanted to go back and, and do more of that. And I worked as a clinical director in non-residential services. And I also, prior to that, worked for about a year and a half as the assistant director for the shelter. And so that work, it's, you know, primarily, I think it began with wanting really to work with women, moms, and that's just the population that I've always been drawn to. And that's kind of what led me into the domestic violence field. What is something that you're really proud of or excited about right now that is happening at our coalition? I really feel like the coalition is moving in like a, in a really positive direction. It just seems like there's a, a lot of expansion that's happening. We have a lot of new positions that we didn't have before. And I know this time around we have we're going to have designated staff who are just doing technical assistance and support. And so I think that's going to really help our programs with having having more coalition staff to help support them. And then yeah, just you know, there was a short stint where they didn't have a person in here overseeing the children's capacity building project. And so I was just really excited that the coalition had reached out to our funder and said, hey, we really want to, it's really important that we have this position back. And it had such wonderful outcomes. And, you know, and without kind of a designated person here, a lot of the training and that intensive support and peer support probably wouldn't happen. And so I think that that these are a lot of exciting kind of changes that are happening with the coalition right now. So what is part of your work that you are passionate about? I mean, you kind of explained in like your history of like why you got into the work that you did. Is there more to that? I mean, just being able to play a role, you know, on a more kind of macro systems level to really help improve the lives of survivors and their children. You know, I want to be a voice and an agent for change for the children in our state. You know, unfortunately, New Mexico, you know, we're often kind of the bottom of the list in, in child well-being. And I want to be able to make that change in a bigger way and to be, you know, an advocate in that way for our children because they, they don't deserve to live in a home with violence and live in a violent in a violent world. They deserve to live in a safe world. 
And I'm passionate about that. So in my time at the coalition, I've also built some really strong relationships and and actual some really strong friendships with a lot of the Children's Project staff and the agencies across the state. And so I just absolutely have I've just enjoyed getting to these just remarkable people that are doing the work. I love the peer support and um, seeing people support one another in this, you know, as I said, in this really, really hard work. So that's another thing that I wanted to say that I'm super passionate about. If you could make one change for survivors in New Mexico, what would it be? I would say that it's hard to just think of one you know, more resources, more opportunities for survivors to have the opportunity to live in a safe environment. You know, there's just so many different barriers that keep them from doing that. And like I said, I mean, survivors deserve to live a violence-free life and to be able to have independence. As everyone knows, you know, we're in a rural state, which is one of the beautiful things about New Mexico. But I think it also can contribute to the kind of overall isolation that I think survivors often face when they're living in a home with domestic violence. And so oftentimes when they finally do kind of take that brave step to reach out for help, a lot of times they're often faced with roadblocks, you know, lack of transportation or the shelter in their area is full and there's not, there's not enough beds. And, and a lot of times, you know, when they do kind of make that call, if the shelter is full, then oftentimes the shelter will say, Hey, there's one, maybe this shelter isn't full, but A lot of times, you know, survivors don't want to uproot their lives. They don't want to have to take their children out of school, leave their family and uproot and and go all the way across the state to seek safety. To me, there needs to be a way to help support survivors with having a place to go that's safe. They shouldn't have to be kind of jumping through hoops for safety. So what is one change that you would like to see for programs in New Mexico? I would say, again, I think it goes back to resources, of course. You know, that's what everyone always says. But for our programs to be able to offer more services to survivors, but, you know, of course, that means having more resources, but having the resources to offer more services. And then also, you know, with resources comes being able to, you know, recruit and retain, you know, qualified staff. You know, as I, as I kind of mentioned before, you know, staffing shortages are kind of an overall, you know, issue across the nation. But again, you know, this is, this is life-saving work. You know, it's like a hospital. It's, you know, our programs save people's lives. And so, you know, again, going back to what I said about, you know, a survivor finally taking that really brave step to finally make that call, we and the programs don't want, we don't want roadblocks. We don't want, you know, our programs to say, hey, we don't, we don't have the resources to be able to house someone in a hotel for three months. You know, we want our programs to, you know, have the resources to be able to serve anyone who calls because it may be the only call that person ever makes. What do you think is the single most important step to creating a community without domestic violence? I think what comes to mind for me is just having a system-wide response. And so what I mean by that is, is that we all need to work together. We can't just depend on one system. Like we can't just depend on the police to respond to domestic violence. We can't just depend on our domestic violence advocate to deal with someone who's going through domestic violence. Everyone in our community needs to respond And they need to have the tools and education to know how to respond. 
you know, and also we all as a collective, all the systems need to hold perpetrators of violence accountable. And I, you know, personally feel I think domestic violence is shrouded in secrecy. I think people, just the nature of domestic violence, I think historically people tend to think, hey, that's none of my business. I'm not going to ask any questions. I'm not going to call the police if I hear fighting next door. It's a personal thing. I truly believe that keeping it kind of shrouded in secrecy further perpetuates the problem. And so, you know, I feel like we all as a community need to all respond to domestic violence and not have tolerance to it. What do you do to take care of yourself? Like we have wellness hours here at the coalition. And so what are some things that you do for self-care? So I know a lot of times, you know, people think of self-care as like, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to go exercise and do things like that. But I think my message would be and kind of what I try and do for myself is even if it's five minutes out of your day, I'm going to go outside and I'm going to, you know, take a deep breath or, you know, I'm going to go take care of my kind of biological needs. I'm going to go and and drink a glass of water because I haven't had a glass of water all day. You know, I think self-care can be small things, but they're deliberate. You know, they're deliberate actions that you're taking. What I really enjoy doing, I like to be outside in nature. You know, nature really brings me peace, you know, turning off all my electronics and, and just separating myself. And, you know, I also find great joy in being around my daughter and my, um, my furry, my furry kiddos. I spend, you know, a lot of time with my, I have two, two dogs, a, a Chihuahua and a Jack Russell Terrier, and I have a bearded dragon. <laughs> and bearded dragons actually make really great, really are, are very calming and soothing, believe it or not. And so, so I, I do, I, I do those types of things for fun. My last question is just, is there anything that you feel like that we didn't cover that you would like to say before we get going? I guess I would just say, you know, I just want to kind of give a shout out to all of our domestic violence programs across the state that, that do really, really hard work. And I just want them to feel appreciated. And I know I appreciate them. I know that they change lives. And that I don't know what our world would be without them. So I just, I just really wanted to give a shout out to all the amazing work that they do to help survivors and children of domestic violence. It's truly life-changing work. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me today. And I'm so glad that you're here and that we got to learn a little bit about the CCBP project and a little bit about you. Thank you. Thanks for having me. We want to thank our programs that work tirelessly across the state to support those affected by domestic violence. Each and every staff member, advocate, therapist, and supporter is important. We appreciate you. If you or someone you know is experiencing domestic violence, there is help available. Please call the hotline at 1-800-799-SAFE or 1-800-799-7233 or visit their website on a safe device at www.thehotline.org. Love our conversations? Make sure to subscribe, rate, and share our podcast. You can submit questions and feedback to rochelle at nmcadv.org. Thanks for listening in.